0: Hey, Trumpcast listeners, Virginia Heffernan here. You're about to hear a short excerpt from today's episode of Trumpcast. It's riveting, but to listen to the full episode, you need to be a Slate Plus member. That's no hardship. You can join now at slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus and listen to the whole episode and all episodes of Trumpcast ad-free. We've started making one in four TrumpCast episodes exclusive to Slate Plus members, and these are some of the best ones. We hope you'll join to hear the show and to support the work that we do here at Slate. You'll get no ads on any of our podcasts and extra content from Slate shows like Slow Burn and the Slate Political Gab Fest. So sign up now at slate.com slash TrumpCast Plus to get every single TrumpCast episode in full. It's only $35 for the first year. Thanks for listening. Hello,
1: welcome to Trumpcast from Los Angeles, California. I'm Leon Krause. Almost 18 years ago, on 9-11, I was trying to understand what had happened, not only as a journalist, but of course as a human being. I remember I met with a friend of mine, an older gentleman, a writer as well, who had and still has a talent to look at things with a wider and wiser lens. We spoke about the attack itself, the sheer horror of the attack. But then we also spoke about the way the attack had been witnessed in real time by the whole world. By the time the towers fell, I'm sure you remember, most TV stations around the world were broadcasting live. We all saw thousands of people die live right in front of us. It was the first moment the whole world was scared at the same precise instant, my friend told me. And he was right, of course. Just like the Apollo 11 moon landing probably meant the first worldwide moment of true global communion and awe over human achievement, the September 11 attacks were the first moment when all of us witnessed in real time how deeply, unspeakably evil humankind can be. Almost two decades have passed since then. It's, it's incredible. Almost 20 years. And then on March 15th, we all witnessed evil live again. A man wearing a camera went into a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand and began shooting and streaming live on social media. There, live on Facebook, the brutal murder of 50 innocent people. The video was viewed 4,000 times before the site took it down. But it lived on. Over the next 24 hours, Facebook had to remove over one and a half million versions of that horrendous Christchurch video. In one way or another, in edited versions or mere pictures, the video is still lurking around the internet. And it will be there for a while. Perhaps forever. That's the nature of the web. This, of course, raises questions about social media. But mostly, it raises questions about what we, what the world in general, is doing to combat white supremacist terrorism and gun violence. The government of New Zealand responded to the latter swiftly and wisely. It will ban all military-style semi-automatic weapons from the country. Period. That's it. End of debate. And that's the sane response, the brave response, if only we had that in the United States. As to what to do with the growing threat of white supremacist terrorism in America and abroad, well, that's a different matter. But certainly, it's no less urgent. That's exactly what we will discuss today on the show. Ishan Tharur is a reporter who brilliantly covers foreign affairs, geopolitics, and history for The Washington Post. Ishan, welcome to Trumpcast. Pleasure to be here. So you recently wrote a very insightful and honestly painful analysis of what happened in New Zealand. So let me ask you, what's behind Brenton Harrison-Tarrant's motives for this unspeakable attack? He saw himself as playing a role in a larger conspiracy of sorts against whites. How so?
2: Yes, I think it's it's important to stress that there's nothing particularly original or insightful about his view of the world. He, if you read his manifesto or seen images of uh, the strange markings across the web, his weaponry that he used, he he referenced all these mostly Balkan soldiers who or warriors who fought against the armies of the Ottoman Empire. He was he really inhabited in his mind a kind of morbid historical fantasy of being. Uh, this this warrior of the white race of Christendom to a certain extent, although he's not particularly religious, uh, locked in this existential clash of civilizations with the invaders, the infidels, Muslims, and so on, and uh, and and that that bore itself out in in, his, in in the massacres that he that he perpetrated, and you also see it very clearly in in his radicalization.
1: He has drawn comparisons to Anders Bering Breivik, who killed 77 people in 2011 in Norway. Breivik was also, as you know, motivated by xenophobia, by racism. How does Breivik and Tarrant fit into the wider narrative of white supremacist terrorism?
2: These are our, they're now very important figures in, in this canon of figure of, of terrorists that we have come to, to endure in, at the moment. Uh, Breivik, I mean, and Tarrant clearly was somewhat inspired by Breivik, uh, he, again, very similarly to Tarrant, was also fixated on the Balkans. His manifesto was uh, dated 2083, which is a reference to the, the 400th anniversary of the Battle of Vienna, the siege of Vienna, where uh, the, the, the Ottomans were repelled from the gates of that uh, Austrian city. So again, he was inhabiting this, this kind of historical fantasy of fighting the armies of Islam. And 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 both of them, uh, of course, you know, drew from a whole body of not so fringe uh, hard right nationalist writings. You know, Breivik in his manifesto was citing relatively well known American uh, commentators like Pamela Geller and so on, who uh, dabble in Islamophobia. None of the ideas in their in their manifesto are, are original in any way. And what's more alarming, I mean, when when Breivik perpetrated his act. You could, you know, consign it to being the the writings of a, a, a raving lunatic on the, the the fringe of the fringe. Whereas now, in the political moment that we're in right now, uh, you can even draw, you know, dotted lines. I wouldn't say a direct line, but a dotted line from where Tarant is sitting and 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 the views that he has to even views inculcated by people in the White House
1: would you say that these people are after some sort of holy war dash- ethnic cleansing is that sort of like what makes up their insane ideology
2: there's clearly a, a kind of proto-fascism to all of this they they believe in a monocultural state they believe they have a sense of this fixation on the white race of course uh, Tarrant in his manifesto focused on this this idea of the great replacement this belief that White birth rates are slipping and immigration is going to eventually lead to a kind of genocide. This white genocide that they claim is happening, which is no statistical fact, factual basis whatsoever. And, and, and yeah, they, I, think, I think it's not so holy as much as it's ethnically driven. It's an ethnic nationalism, ethno-fascism, really.
1: In a way, do you think we are witnessing sort of a suggestion that we should all regress a thousand years to the time of the Crusades?
2: I mean, I think there's a desire on their <laughs> part to reduce it to that. Not that different from, say, ISIS, that, that also has its own kind of Absolutely. writings and, and fantasies about waging war against the Rome caliphate. and all that. So there is a, a certain kind of symmetry there between their views and, and ISIS views. Both Both believe in a kind of existential conflict. At the same time, I think it's important to stress, though, that there's a whole world...
0: So that's the teaser for today's show. Aren't you tantalized? Don't you want to hear the whole thing? Well, now's your chance. You can sign up now at slate.com slash Trumpcast plus to get every single Trumpcast episode. All of it. No ads. It's only $35 for the first year. Go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus.